You're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. As Rabbit Room Theater's The Hiding Place stage production runs in Nashville, we thought we'd give you a look behind the scenes at how this stage play came to be in a three-part series with Pete Peterson. This is part three. You can find more information about the show at rabbitroomtheater.com. For those who aren't familiar with Corey Ten Boom and her story, she and her family were watchmakers outside of Amsterdam. When Nazi Germany invaded, they spent two years hiding Jewish refugees in their home, saving some 800 people until they were caught in 1944 and sent to various prisons, and some ultimately to Ravensbrück concentration camp. After the war, Corey would go on to travel the world and testify about her experience for the rest of her life. What stands out about Corey, and is clearly evident in her book, is her family's unshakable faith in the sovereignty of God and their uncanny ability to embody gratitude, even in the midst of the darkest days of the 20th century, if not the history of civilization. In the context of the genocide of millions and the suffering of millions more, gratitude and faith are difficult concepts to accept. After all, what kind of God allows such dehumanization and destruction? How can anyone in the midst of Holocaust believe in God's goodness? A story needs a meaty question to wrestle with, and this one is as meaty as they come. Humankind has been chewing on it for thousands of years, and we still don't have an answer we swallow entirely. As I sat down to write, it occurred to me that I've danced around these issues before. My first play, The Battle of Franklin, took on slavery and war and the consequences of dehumanization. And then in Frankenstein, I wrestled with the idea of how we might be shaped either by kindness or by cruelty, and how our relationship to our Creator might ultimately damn or redeem us. And now, in The Hiding Place, I came to realize that the story was ultimately a journey of theodicy. What good can be said of a God that permits the extermination of millions? The question seems insurmountable, unanswerable even. But maybe, in the shadow of the unanswerable, we're called to enter the ring and wrestle, even if all we go away with is a blessing and a limp. In Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, the character of Ivan puts forward an argument of unsettling power, suggesting that no matter what ultimate good God intends, it is not worth the suffering of even one innocent child. Through his character, Dostoevsky says this, I understand, of course, what an upheaval of the universe it will be when everything in heaven and earth blends in one hymn of praise, and everything that lives and has lived cries aloud, Thou art just, O Lord, for thy ways are revealed. When the mother embraces the fiend who threw her child to the dogs, and all three cry aloud with tears, Thou art just, O Lord. Then, of course, the crown of knowledge will be reached, and all will be made clear. But what pulls me up here is that I cannot accept that harmony. You see, Alyosha, perhaps it really may happen that I, I too, may cry aloud with the rest, looking at the mother embracing the child's torturer. Thou art just, O Lord. But I don't want to cry aloud then. It's not worth the tears of that one tortured child. It's not worth it because those tears are unatoned for and they must be atoned for, or there can be no harmony. I want to forgive. I want to embrace. I don't want more suffering. And if the sufferings of children 
go to swell the sum of suffering which is necessary to pay for truth, then I protest that the truth is not worth such a price. I don't want the mother to embrace the oppressor who threw her son to the dogs. She dare not forgive him. The sufferings of her tortured child she has no right to forgive. Is there in the whole world a being who would have the right to forgive and could forgive? I would rather be left with the unavenged suffering. For too high a price is asked for harmony, and so I hasten to give back my entrance ticket, and that I am doing. It is not God that I don't accept, Alyosha, only I most respectfully return him his ticket. Well, if you're anything like me, you can't turn away from Ivan's defiance without being haunted by it. It's a demand for justice that we all carry around with us, and we feel it when we hear rumors of famine in far-off lands and see pictures of children on the cusp of starvation. We feel it when we see videos of ISIS executions or hear testimonies from refugees or witness 70,000 people left homeless in the wake of a hurricane. And right here in America, we've worked hard to deafen our ears to the cries of our victims, but in flashes and gunshots and protests, we're gradually awakening to the screams of our own ghosts as they spill out of the past where we've tried to bury them. The world is swollen with suffering. We've all partaken, and we've all participated. It's easy to shake a fist at the Almighty and refuse his ticket. It's hard to listen, and it's harder still to receive an answer that's as difficult as the question itself. Visit a concentration camp and you'll find it's your job to listen. It's not a place to stage an argument. It's not a place to stroll through and visit with scant attention. And yet, neither is it a place of despair. It's a place to listen. A place to give ghosts their voices. Listen. Our Father, who art in heaven, and who sees our homeless life, take your loyal children into your care. Staunch the tears that darken our souls, hallowed be thy name here on foreign soil, where violently torn from our paternal home we must pray secretly among our enemies. Thy will be done. We humbly cry in the belief that sorrow and joy must come from you, that you give us everything, great and almighty God, and this deep faith will sweeten our misery. Give us strength to survive and the belief in our souls that our exile is not without purpose. Deliver us from all that is evil, and give us a joyful homecoming. That was written by Ursula Winska, a prisoner in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Listen. O Lord, remember not only the people of good will, but also the people of evil will. And remember not only all of the suffering they have caused, but also the fruits that have been born of this suffering, our friendship, our loyalty, our humility, our courage, our generosity. Remember the greatness of heart that sprang from this. And when we face the last judgment, let all the fruits we have borne secure their forgiveness. Amen. That's by Mother Maria, also imprisoned and executed in Ravensbrook concentration camp. Like Betsy and Corey Tinboom, many who went into great darkness found there a light that was greater yet. They sat in the depths of the pit and they gave thanks.
They prayed for their oppressors. They kindled love between one another. They sang, and they suffered. And they saw something in all of it that most of us miss. They are witnesses, and we owe them a hearing of their testimony. In the writing of The Hiding Place and in my wrestling with Ivan's rebellion, I could find no answer to why God permits such things. But while I am angry about suffering in the world, and I cry out for vengeance, I also need to humble myself and hear the voices of those who have gone before and seen things more closely and more clearly. Listen, I happened across a story of the communion host being smuggled into the concentration camp by a Red Cross worker. Seeing this revelation, the prisoners gathered around in wonder, as if a miracle had come among them. And maybe it had. What if the culmination of theodicy is not an answer, but an action? God doesn't tell us why. Instead, he shows us how. He answers mystery with mystery. His response to suffering is to partake of it himself, and he partakes of it still in each of us. He dies with us, groans with us, suffers with us. But to what end? In the mystery of communion, we acknowledge that we are not merely secured to Christ. He is also secured to us. The eternal intersecting with the temporal as he joins himself to each of us in our own suffering and death, and therefore joins us to his resurrection. To Ivan, I say, yes. There is one who can forgive and atone, and who has the right to do so. For the Creator suffers as we suffer. The child's death is his death too, and therefore his resurrection will be the child's. He takes all suffering into himself, and he transfigures it. His body too was broken. His blood too was spilled. Our bodies too will be made new. This is the testimony of the martyrs and saints. This is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Betsy Tenboom saw it. Corey Tenboom testifies to it. An empty tomb proclaims it. Listen. The Hiding Place runs until July 23rd in Nashville, and we hope you'll be able to join us for this very special production. You can get tickets and sign up to learn more about what Rabbit Room Theater will be up to in the coming months at rabbitroomtheater.com. 